So today, what I'm going to visit about is the power of listening, and in particular, the power of listening to God. If you would turn with me to John chapter 10, in John chapter 10, we can look at a verse that will be very familiar, but I'm going to look at it from maybe a different perspective than we typically do. Chapter 10 of John, Jesus is speaking, and he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things he spoke to them. So... Pretty funny irony there. So here you have a shepherd. Jesus is our shepherd. And Jesus is teaching us. So Jesus is our shepherd. We're in John 10. And he's using an illustration here. Now, if you know any ranchers and you talk to them about animals, one of the things that they will uniformly tell you is that the dumbest animal in the world is a sheep. I've been told by ranchers a sheep is an animal looking for a place to die. You know, sheep are just, uh, I guess they're tasty and they, they have um, great wool product. But they're really dumb. They have no balance. They follow whoever is they're in front of. They'll even follow them into a ravine. They just basically can't take care of themselves. But here is this illustration of a shepherd. And the shepherd is able to speak to the sheep by name and the sheep will actually understand and respond. The dumbest animal in the whole domestic animal kingdom can understand well enough to respond. And Jesus is speaking these words to people so they can understand and it says, but they did not understand. So what, if a sheep can understand and then we can't understand, what does that make us? Dumber than sheep, yeah, is kind of what where where we end up. Now, we were in Israel one day in the Valley of Elah, which is the valley where David killed Goliath, and suddenly we heard this whistling. Hey, hey, hey! And this shepherd uh, comes kind of charging down the hill, it's on one side of the valley, with this whole herd of sheep, and he was whistling to them so that they could stay together. And they were just marching along, eating as they went. It was uh, was actually kind of amazing, because that's not that different probably than was going on with King David. But they they heard this guy's voice, they knew his whistle, and they they would understand, even though they're dumb. they, they, They could understand, they could follow. So, it seems very clear here that one of the things Jesus expects of us 
is to be able to hear His voice. Can we at least get that out of this? That He expects us to get that? And He expects us to understand something. Now all the sheep are supposed to understand is where to go and who to follow. Really, isn't that all they're supposed to get? He's not explaining physics to the sheep. Uh, he's, not, he's not trying to get them to become uh, a speaking sh- animals. He just wants them to go to the right spot. But Jesus expects us to be able to hear. So how does that work? How does God expect us to hear him? Let's just look at a few examples. Let's go to Romans chapter 10. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 18, God says something very interesting about how we should hear him. Let me start with verse 14 to lead into this. And this is a passage, again, that's very familiar. If you've ever been to a mission conference, it's likely that this would be somebody's keynote text. How then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? This is Romans ten fourteen. And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. And that's usually where the passage stops. point is that we all ought, ought to participate in sending preachers. So some should now give your life to be sent. And the rest of us should pool our money together to send them. That's, that's the typical application of this passage. Which I think is a completely appropriate application of the passage. But look what it continues on to say. But they have not all obeyed the gospel for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Have they not heard? Yes, indeed. So we ought to send preachers. We absolutely ought to do that. And that's what Paul is doing with his life at this point. But the notion of unless they hear, we have failed them and there's no other way for them to accept the gospel, which sometimes is added to the sermon... It actually goes directly against this text. Because the answer to, have they not all heard, even if someone hasn't been sent, is yes, they've all heard. And then he quotes from Psalms and says, their sound has gone out to the earth and their words to the end of the world. Now, without knowing the context there, you might miss it. But let's just look at the context. Let's look at Psalm 19 which is what he's quoting here. Anytime an Old Testament passage is quoted, the presumption is you bring the whole context of the quote in because he's giving you a reference to something that has a a complete meaning. He's not pulling something out of context and giving it a new meaning. Psalm 19, verse 1, he's quoting verse uh, 4, or 3 and 4 in uh, Romans. But let's look at the context, Psalm 19, 1. The heavens declare 
the glory of God. So what do the heavens do? Declare. Declare. So what, does the, what do we usually wor- use the word declare to refer to? If I say, I've declared something, what does that usually mean? I've, pro- I've proclaimed it. How, how can you proclaim something? So you can say it. How else can you proclaim it? You can show it. How else can you proclaim it? Write it, right? But the very clear message is that communication is happening. And is the communication inadvertent or deliberate if you declare something? Very deliberate, isn't it? The heavens declare. What do the heavens declare? The glory of God. Glory in Scripture means something's essence is being observed. That's all it means. Something's essence is being observed. So God's essence of who He is is being observed by the by us, and we're, when we are observing that essence, the heavens are declaring who God is. It's declaring the essence of God. Now Jesus spoke with words to people and said, "You should listen." To me, like sheep listen to a shepherd. Did they understand? They didn't understand the words. Does that mean Jesus wasn't declaring? He was declaring, wasn't he? But they didn't understand. The heavens are always declaring. Do we understand it? Do we even look at it? In these days, the heavens are not even visible much of the time in much of the world. If you go to a big city, the heavens might not even exist for all practical purposes. you got to get out into the country. And matter of fact, our city's not that big. And you still have to get out of the city a ways to see much of it in its, in its full splendor. But when we do, when we look up, there's a message there. And the message is God's essence is being displayed. So, Romans, Paul is saying, that's enough. That's enough. Well, that's not on. The firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day, verse 2, utters speech. Now, when you say utters speech, what is always connected with the phrase utters speech? Someone uttered speech. What's always connected with that? Sound. Sound? What else? Words. Words? Someone else listening. Someone else listening? A message, yeah. There's there's a there's a communicator, there's a communication, there's a re- intended recipient, and the communicator had something to transfer. That's a message. All those things are compo- are are there, and look what is happening day unto day, every day. The heavens are talking. They're speaking. What are they speaking about? God. What does that speech give us? Back to Romans 10. The gospel. It's there. It's enough. Does that mean we shouldn't send a preacher? Of course it doesn't. That's what Paul was doing. That's what he's, a, he's giving the people there uh, the opportunity to understand. He's writing them a letter here so they can understand something. He's declaring. He's uttering speech to the Romans. But he's just saying, it's everywhere, all around us. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. 
This is a language that doesn't have to be translated. Everybody gets it. Their line has gone out through the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them, he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. So he just goes on. It's, it's everything is, is there. And that's enough. God is always speaking. Are we listening? You know, I think it's okay to extrapolate this further. He says the heavens declare the glory of God. But I think by application, the entire creation declares the glory of God. The animal kingdom declares the glory of God. We know we can, from Proverbs, we can watch the ants and learn something. What do we, what do we learn from the ants? Industry. Industry, right? That's what we, the Proverbs tell us. Hey, look at, you, hey, lazy guy. Go and just look at the ants for a while and, and learn a lesson. Uh, it talks to us about the lizard. The lizard lives in great palaces and isn't even royalty. You know, there's, there's, a way, there's a way to get a great life without necessarily having... So the, there's, there's, there's wisdom all throughout the an, animal kingdom. And it also seems reasonable to say that if God is speaking to us through nature constantly, He also speaks with us through circumstances. Circumstances are connected with nature. Give me an idea of some... Well, let me, let me give you a few, and then maybe you can see, be thinking of circumstances that we can think of in the Bible that where God has clearly spoken. Let me give you a couple here uh, that uh, we can look at. Be turning to 1 Kings, and while you're doing that, I can just talk about some of the things Jesus had associated with him. When Jesus died, what were some of the things that transpired that would we might call circumstances? Earthquake. Yeah. Was that earthquake intended to communicate something? Certainly seems to have. Associated with the earthquake were various people rising from their graves. That earthquake happens, crack opens, somebody walks out. There's a message there, I think. It's intended. What else? What were some other things that happened that are circumstantial where there was a message attached to it? Yeah, yeah, the veil in the temple tore in half. Okay, well... If you're there and you're a Jewish leader, that's not something you're going to just take for granted. Oh, hey, by the way, the, the veil tore in half today. From top to bottom. Yeah. So there's a message there, right? There was a circumstance where there's a very deliberate message associated with that. Uh, the darkness. Remember darkness for three hours? Like. Uh, okay, that's not a natural thing to happen. Something is telling us something's going on here. So there, there's circumstances associated with that. In 1 Kings 19, verse 11, God is speaking to Elijah. Now, this is the next one we're going to look at, is that sometimes God actually talks to us out loud. That does happen. It's not the norm, but it does happen. Remember Samuel? He's a little kid, and he hears, uh, hey, Samuel. And he, what does he do when he hears, hey, Samuel? Goes to Eli and says, yes. Yeah, you had something for me? So what does that tell you that this little boy, what happened to this little boy? He, he heard an audible voice, right? So he heard an audible voice. It, 
it could be that many times people are hearing God speaking and it's, and, and, it's, and it's an inaudible voice. That certainly could be the case. But in that case, it's an audible voice. Well, here is, here is Elijah speaking to, uh, sorry, God speaking to Elijah. And he says, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. So Elijah does. Now that's an interesting thing, isn't it? Why, why did he tell uh, Elijah to go out and, and go on the mountain? Why did he tell him that? Do we, what do we know right now? We don't know. Yeah, he just said, go out on the mountain. If, if you tell a three-year-old, go do something, what do they always say? Why? Why do I have to do that? Is anybody going to come with me? Can I have something if I do that? Can I take my so-and-so with me? Are you going to come? Right? Yeah, but, so he just says, go out. So he did. He's been around long enough. This guy, he listens. Elijah listens. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore into the mountains, broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. So here he says, go out on the, on the mountain. And then here comes this wind and starts blowing the mountain up. Now, if you're, if you're sitting there, what do you, you kind of be thinking at this point? Yeah, I'm done to die, probably. But... He says, but the, he, this is what he takes away from that, but the Lord was not in the wind. That's kind of weird, okay? Because he said, there's a circumstance, but the Lord's not in that circumstance. That's, that's not teaching me anything, apparently. And, and then he says, oh, an earthquake. So, at this point in time, I would think Elijah would be, What? Wondering what's going on a little bit. So you have this massive cataclysm happen. The rocks are breaking up and everything. And then an earthquake happens. And what is going on here? But I didn't get any message from that, apparently. After the earthquake, a fire. So now fire comes down out of heaven. It doesn't tell us what kind of fire. But it's on a mountain. You know, typically have fires on the mountain. Maybe... A volcano erupted or something. I don't know what it is. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in the mantle, went out and stood in the entrance of the cave, and the voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? So there's, there's a message here, but Elijah's looking and saying, These circumstances aren't telling me something, but God's actually speaking to me here. So... I think sometimes the circumstances tell us something and sometimes they don't. And sometimes they're meant for us to direct us in some way. Sometimes they're not. And sometimes the small things are telling us something and the big things are not. So God is always speaking. He speaks to us through everything that's going on around us. Some things are meant for us. Some things are not. That's nature and circumstances. I already mentioned it, but God sometimes actually speaks vocally. Let's look at Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses now has been at Shepherd University for 40 years. You know, he was 40 years in Egypt as a prince and was one of the top leaders in the nation, the most powerful place on earth. Egypt's the most powerful government on earth, and he was one of the top guys in the government and had gone to the best schools and had all the credentials. And now he's gone to Shepherd University for... 40 years. And so he's tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. 
And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I'm going to go look and see at this bush that's burning but not being consumed. Something strange is happening here. So what, what would we call that? A circumstance caught his attention. And he said, I'm going to go look into this circumstance. So the circumstance caused him to change his location, that's all. He was wandering around with the sheep. I'm going to go look here. I'm going to go stand here, which was the point. That was the point. So he gets to this spot, and God called to him from the midst of the bush and says, Moses, Moses, and he says, here I am. And then they have a conversation. And it's clear that the conversation is a conversation. Because Moses argues with God. And God gets unhappy with it. They have a, it actually turns into a negotiation, which is kind of bizarre. You would think that if you saw a miracle happen and suddenly God started speaking with you, that you might actually be overwhelmed. But, you know, Moses is just speaking with God and arguing with him. Well, what does that tell you? God's a person. And he speaks just like anybody else does. He, he's having a conversation. He could just put Moses in a tractor beam and make him do what he wants him to do. Why doesn't he do that? He doesn't want to. He wants Moses to make a choice. And the basic conversation is, I want you to go do this job for me. And Moses says, I, I can't. And God says, I can help. And Moses says, I can. And God says, I'm God. I, you know, I, like I can do stuff. And I, Let me show you. I'll show you. I can make you do something miraculous. And Moses says, well, okay, but I'm not eloquent of speech. He's not going to listen to me. I mean, I've been rejected. Don't you see me here? I was rejected, remember? They threw me out of Egypt. I had to leave. You want me to go back? You're talking to a rejected victim here. And God says, all right, all right. I'll send your brother and your brother can talk. Now, we got, are you going to go or not? Okay, I'll go. It's a conversation. Moses is listening. He's hearing. He's understanding. Well, sometimes it's vocal. Sometimes it's spoken out loud. It's pretty rare. I know people that believe that they have heard God speak, and I think it's genuine. But most of the time, that's not how he does it. It's important to understand, though, that conversation for God is normal. Because there is something he's doing all the time that I think we're mostly oblivious to. And that's what I want to look at next. Let's look at Galatians chapter 4. God speaks in nature. He's always talking. He can speak vocally, sometimes through nature, like out of this burning bush or a donkey. But this is more normal for us. Galatians 4, verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Okay? 
Because you're sons. Who, who all does that include? Every believer. God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts. So who has the Spirit of Jesus in their heart? Every believer. And what is the Spirit doing? Crying out. Now look this word, crying out. And it's the same word as the two blind men. Remember the story of the two blind men and Jesus is walking by and they're crying out? Hey, help us! Help us! We need help! So the sense I get from this is more like God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our heart yelling, screaming. God is your dad! God, your dad! Now, does that mean we'll listen? Not that long ago, I walked out on the back porch. Becky walked out. Her three-year-old, Callie, walked out with her. They were leaving. And Becky said, go get in the car. And Callie said, I want to jump on the trampoline. Because her cousins were on the trampoline. Which is about 20 yards from the porch. And Becky said, we're leaving. You need to go get in the car. And Callie took off in a dead sprint to the trampoline. And Becky called out, I'm your mom! I'm your mom! What did Callie do? She kept right on going. I think God has blessed our family with the wonderful opportunity to shepherd very strong-willed ewes. <laughs> and so Becky looked at me with one of those, oh, brother, starts going after Callie. So Callie had about ten seconds of unrequited joy on the trampoline. And the minute, and the minute Becky rounded the corner, there's a fence that kind of blocks the view of the trampoline. The minute she rounded the fence and Callie saw her, she started wailing. Well, that's a nice little picture of how we typically respond to this crying out. I'm your dad! Trampoline. (laughs) I'm your dad! Got something better to do. But he's always speaking. The question is, are we always listening? Look at the same notion that's in Romans. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit, he's speaking to believers here, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now look look at this word groanings. Uh, This word also shows up in Acts 7.34. Let's just go there real quick. Acts 7.34. Stephen is speaking here. And Stephen is giving the history of the nation 
because he's leading up to a point that he makes the to, or he's leading up to make the point that the history of the Jews is always to reject God, to run to the trampoline instead of go to the car. And he he gets to this point where he's telling the story of Israel in verse 34, and he says he quotes from the Old Testament. And he says, uh, well, let's start in 33. The Lord said to him, Moses, take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. This is this same burning bush episode we've already mentioned. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them. So the people of Egypt are in pain. They're in agony. They're in oppression. And when you're in pain and agony and oppression, you, you can't always verbalize it all. It, it, it hurts. And someone can ask you, express your hurt to me. And you really can't a lot of the time. Grief is part of that. I mean, you, you can tell people, you know, I hurt. But they can't. They, that, what does that mean? You, you, you can sort of hurt with them, but not, you can't hear what they hear. Well, God heard that. He said, this pain, he actually hears it. And that's the same word as over in Romans. In Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. We don't know what we should pray for as we ought. It's hard to verbalize these things. But the Spirit makes intercess for, for us. He has these same kind of groanings. The, the, the Spirit takes these things that are maybe we can't articulate completely, and He still communicates those things to God. So God is listening. Look at verse 27. Now He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. So God is listening to us in a way that even goes dramatically beyond what we can speak. He he listens to our pain. He listens to our concerns that we can't even articulate. And the Spirit is listening to that and speaking to God. And that's the same Spirit that's telling us, crying out, Abba, Father, God loves you. He's your dad. Isn't that cool? Look at Galatians chapter 5. Because this is going on all the time. Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. This conversation is going on in our bodies all the time, in our head. I don't know where it is. Head, well, I usually say head. You start in 16, Galatians 5, 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. Now, the flesh here is our natural nature. It's connected with our earthly body. When we get a new body, we won't have that anymore. We will be saved from this earthly body. This is the part of salvation that's called glorification and it's something that we look forward to. It's something that's a promise and a hope, but not yet happened as long as we're alive on this earth. So that is the flesh. And the Spirit is our new nature. The Spirit of God... And our new creation in Christ, they're united. They're one. They don't have any problems. The flesh is not capable of doing anything worthwhile. And that's us. And we're one. We have both of these things. And look what they're doing with each other. Lusting. The Spirit is saying, I want 
That's what lust is, a deep passion for something. The Spirit says, I want. And the flesh says, no, I want. Have you ever had two little kids and one cupcake? What happens? I want. No, I want. Two little kids and one truck? I want. Right? This is what, this is what they're doing. The Spirit says, I want. The flesh answers, I want. No, I want. No, I want. No, I want. This is what's happening in us all the time. And we're the cupcake. And what is it they want? They don't want to eat us exactly. <laughs> Maybe they want to, but that's not, that's not what's at stake here. What they want is for us to choose to follow them. So there's actually three actors here. Spirit, flesh, and us making a choice. God could have told Moses, well, since you're not listening to me, I'm just going to make you do that. You know, he could, he could have done that. But he's, he wants, he, he's lusting for Moses to walk in the path that he asked him to walk in. And he's waiting for Moses to choose. Will you choose this or not? Well, that's going on in us all the time. And if the spirit and flesh are lusting, what are they doing? What, what has to be happening? They have to be communicating. That has to be going on. Now, used to in cartoons, it was pretty common for a character to be looking at, at making a choice and suddenly two little things would pop up on his shoulders. A devil and an angel. And then they'd all start speaking in his head. That, that used to be common. And that's because that's what happens to us every time we have a choice to make. You hear this voice of the flesh all the time, don't you? That, that lousy person, they stole what was rightfully yours. Don't you hear that voice all the time? That's the flesh lusting. But then don't you hear, well, you know, I really shouldn't do that. You know what I really ought to do? Yeah, I just, this, this is, how does, this, isn't this the turn the other cheek? You don't want to do that. Don't be a loser. They deserve it. If God was here, he would, he, would, he would blast him. Go ahead and blast him. No, 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 no. Just be patient, right? Don't you hear this going on all the time? That's the Spirit and the flesh. That's God speaking. The Spirit's speaking, but the world's speaking too. And the question is, who are we going to listen to? What, what, the, what the flesh will tell us is that there's only one voice. The flesh will tell us there's just one voice. It's always me. And I know best. Trampoline. That's all that matters. Right? And, and uh, God may come, but it'll be long enough. Ten seconds. I get ten seconds. You know, our life is a wisp of vapor. It's not that different. Well, we can end with Second Timothy 3.16. And we've been doing this the whole time. Because God speaks through nature. He speaks audibly, vocally, but He's speaking in our spirit constantly and we can hear thoughts just as clearly as we can hear audible. And it's happening all the time. And He speaks to us from the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now this phrase... And it's profitable for all these different things. Instruction and so forth. 
This phrase is given by the inspiration of God. One, two, three, four, five, six English words. It's a translation of one Greek word. Theo penustos. Theo is where we get our word theology. It means God. Theo, God, ology, a meaning about. From the Greek word logos which is often translated word, probably would be better translated message. A message about God, theology. Pneustos is where we get our word pneumatic. If you are in the technical world, pneumatic means powered by air. And pneustos means spirit. So some translations you'll see God breathed. And it's just spoken. God spoke the scriptures. This is God talk. We, we said our, at the first we could declare something by speaking. We could declare something by demonstrating. We can declare something by writing. Well, God is doing all these things. He's speaking to us. He's demonstrating to us. And He's written to us. And the big fundamental question is, will we listen? Because the shepherd speaks to his sheep all the time. And a lot of times, they don't listen. Now, what happens to sheep when they don't listen? Well, they end up falling in a ravine, or getting eaten by a coyote, or getting someplace where the flies uh, irritate them or something. It's never in our best interest. But we're sheep. We're little kids. We don't know better. And the reason God is speaking to us all the time is so we can grow up. Doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, that we may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Well, often life gives us things that make us groan, that are hard. And it's hard to hear God a lot of times. But it's probably harder to hear God when everything's going great. When we're running to the trampoline, just life is wonderful. When we get there with our cousins, nothing could be better. And then boom. So this is just uh, something worth reflecting on. That God is always speaking. We always have the opportunity to listen. It's not just the flesh talking to us. And the Spirit is always yelling to us. I'm your dad. I'm your shepherd. I know what's in your best interest. Trust me. God, thank you for your word and nature and the spirit that you're always speaking to us. God, give us the wisdom to hear and listen and follow. In Jesus' name, amen.